study of 2nd Peter was begun last week and this week we look at 2nd uh, Peter chapter 2 you might uh, you might find this to be a rather serious passage and uh, Yet it's an important passage because it uh, gives us uh, some very needed warnings about things that we need to uh, to address in our own lives and uh, the lives of uh, those that we we know. The uh, word of God is precious. To those who know the Lord and believe it. And this is another one of those precious passages of scripture. Uh, Let's uh, begin uh, by saying I went online to get the printed material, uh, the passage text printed out. And I found an outline that was better than the one I had. So I've adopted that from... Uh, Bible Gateway, uh, beautiful outline of this uh, portion. So let's uh, let's begin uh, by reading the first section, which concerns uh, prediction concerning false teachers and the warning about and against false teachers. Uh, the first uh, verse or two, reminds us of their destructive doctrines. And I'll just uh, read that little bit, and we'll have a word of prayer. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the word of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word, which endures forever. We thank you that your word is truth and that uh, we can rely and uh, hold fast to it. It is indeed the foundation of our lives if we are believers and followers of Jesus. And so we pray that we might profit from this truth this morning and that uh, your spirit would use your words in our lives uh, to change us where we need to be changed and to make us more like Jesus. Thank you for all that you've been doing in our midst. Thank you for the great works that you've been doing in Mexico. 
Thank you for the word of God that is going out throughout the world. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, it's uh, interesting that Peter closes out the uh, first chapter. Of course, he didn't have chapter divisions then, but the thought of the first chapter with the true prophets of God who were uh, moved by the Holy Spirit to uh, speak the truth of God, the word of God. Now, as he begins this section, he says that there will there were also false prophets among the people, not just true prophets, but false prophets among the people of Israel. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destructions. So there were false prophets among the people of Israel and the true prophets faced opposition from those that were false. Uh, some very dramatic uh, scenes of the conflict between the false and the true prophets in Israel. And yet uh, these people had the gall to stand up and say they were speaking in the name of the Lord when they weren't. And of course, if you read Deuteronomy 18.20, the penalty for doing that kind of thing was death. Apparently, this death sentence hadn't been carried out very often uh, as as we uh, uh, think about the history of Israel. But it was a very serious thing to speak, saying you were speaking God's word and not speaking God's word. Even as there will be false teachers among you. Remember, uh, Paul, the fellow apostle to Peter, Uh, predicted this sort of danger in Acts 20.29 when he said, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so uh, this was going to happen. There would be these savage wolves coming in, not sparing the flock. And the future tense of this and the passage here shows us that the false teachers were coming but were not yet present in the uh, congregations that Peter was writing to. The later parallel passage in Jude, Jude 4, says that the false teachers were already present. This would imply that 2 Peter was written before the book of Jude. And if, second, if Jude was written around A.D. 67, 68, 2 Peter is thought perhaps to have been written before, just before his martyrdom in A.D. 64 to 66. Then it says, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Here's a second use of this future tense. Uh, they hadn't quite got there yet. But danger was on the way, and uh, they would become uh, a, a menace in the midst of the church. Their errors, uh, opinions of destruction, literally, will not be obvious to all the people that were uh, hearing them. False teachers, you know, they don't just stand up and blow a trumpet and say, hey, I'm a false teacher. <laughs> 
Uh, no, uh, it's much more subtle than that. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, they come as wolves in sheep clothing, so it makes them a little harder to identify. This, their teaching is heretical uh, because it's not according to the Bible. The Bible is the standard of God's teaching, and anything that deviates from that could be considered error or heresy. And uh, especially if it's serious, it is a destructive heresy that tends to lead people away uh, from God and unto destruction. So it's a terrible thing. Even denying the Lord. Now, the uh, actual term here, as in the uh, NSB, is master. The master who bought them. Uh, This shows the very serious nature of their heresy. They deny the Lord. You know, that's, uh, that's as serious as you get. Uh, the price had been paid for their salvation by the Lord, but they, their choice was not Jesus. Their choice was something else. And this reminds us that, you know, salvation is not automatic. Uh, you must, one must repent and realize that one is a sinner without hope of going to heaven apart from personally trusting in the Christ of the Bible uh, to give the gift of forgiveness and, and life, eternal life. So apart from that, uh, you, one, is not, uh, one is still in their sins apart from uh, changing your mind about your sin and realizing that you need Jesus and coming to him as the only uh, way to heaven. And it says that not, that not only do they deny the master, but they bring on themselves swift destruction. Uh, the outcome of their swift destruction uh, is, is interesting. We might ask ourselves, what sort of destruction is Peter referring to? Now, the word for destruction, apolumai, is uh, frequently used in the New Testament. Now, it's very important to get this. Uh, It is not uh, referring to extinction. A lot of people think that they die, and it's all over, they disappear, that's it. Uh, But the word used here, which is the outcome of an unbelieving life in eternity, is not extinction, but ruin, a loss, and a a, uh, not of being, not not a loss of being, but of well-being. That's the that's the concept of uh, this word. It's clear in its usage in the New Testament. For example, this uh, destruction is used of the marring of wineskins, so they can't be used. Uh, the lost sheep that was lost to the shepherd. No extinction there. Uh, spiritual destitution, the lost son who needed to go home to the father to be, be reconciled. Uh, perishing food, the word is used of that. The food doesn't just disappear. It just gets cruddy and you can't eat it. Uh, in terms of persons, uh, it's used of the loss of well-being in the afterlife. 
And uh, that's certainly exceedingly serious. And some of it, we're already in the process of perishing, according to uh, uh, several passages in the New Testament, such as Second Peter 3 and 9. So these false teachers bring spiritual destruction on their own lives as well as on their followers. It's bad enough to go into eternal death alone, but to take others with you. It reminds me of these suicide bombers, you know. They, they, they want to die, but they want to take everybody else with them. And wow, can you imagine the shock when they wake up in hell? Uh, it's hard to imagine. Uh, they, they bring destruction on their followers. Now, today, we know our own nation faces this kind of harvest of evil. You find this in culture, in society, in government. You don't even have to look far. You can turn on, you know, a family, uh, the, the shows on TV that are supposed to be family shows, you know, and... The, the filth, the wretchedness, the, the conflict, all of it is right there. And it just shows what our society is like. And in government, of course, we know uh, recent uh, actions of our government are certainly against God and against our fellow man. Yet there are still individuals out there who are open uh, to repent and to turn in faith toward the only Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we should be on the lookout for those sorts of folk who uh, may be going you know, through a, a patch of hard time. And we can reach out to them and, and, and be that lifeline for them. And uh, wow, that, that would be a, a wonderful thing to see happening again and again and again. And it says that many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Uh, Many will follow. They will observe them as a guide. You know, they do it, so the follower does it. Kind of like that. And, of course, what is true in Peter's day is certainly true in our day. Most people would rather follow false ways than true ways. That's just a, a fact of a thing. The number of people that follow uh, false teaching is absolutely astonishing. I mean, you think about it. There, there are more people doing that than following the truth sometimes. Certainly in the broader society, that is certainly true. And it comes down to the fact that if one can't tell the difference between a true teacher and a false teacher, one becomes easy prey, uh, gullible, and so on. Since false teachers often use biblical terms, it makes it more difficult for folks to, to tell the difference. And, you know, as, as Christians, we encounter somebody we think is a false teacher, we should ask them to define their terms. What do you mean by Jesus? What do you mean by salvation? And so on. The fact is that they will use the term Jesus in a quite different way then we, or the Bible, would understand it. For example, to the Watchtower's Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is just an angel. 
To the Mormons, he is just one God among many gods. But to the scriptures, he is God, the eternal son. And we need to uh, hold that truth firmly and distribute it uh, far and wide. Now, why do people follow falsehood rather than truth? Clearly, it's a demonstration of the fallen human race, the fallen nature of mankind. And it is also a a proof of the activity of Satan who blinds the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. And uh, it talks about their their destructive or shameful ways. Uh, Their destructive teaching in verse 1 leads to these shameful ways of living. And false teaching, uh, you probably realize, is, is quite linked with uh, false living, unethical, uh, immoral behavior. And you can go through uh, the history of things in that regard and see how often that plays out. And it says, because of whom these false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed or spoken against. They will profess to teach Christian truth and yet live unrighteously. As a result, those that look at them say, oh, the church is just full of hypocrites, you know. I wouldn't have anything to do with that. And uh, so that's, uh, that's the kind of thing that happens because of false teachers and false living. It says in verse 3 that by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. Here is an appeal to people's base desire for selfish gain, you know, covetousness, desiring what is just not right and... uh, in the wrong way or the wrong methods and uh, the wrong motivation. They will exploit you. Here's a, it's an interesting phrase because it literally means they will make merchandise of you. You know, you're just, you know, to the false teacher, his followers are just product, you know, that he can get gain with and uh, use. They do it with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle. And, of course, this is true. I, I, I really should remind folks, this is true of all who reject the Son. John three thirty six, right in that same chapter, that has God's great love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only unique Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And here we read in verse 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. I don't see how people go to sleep at night if they realize their condition. But unfortunately, most do not. The destruction does not... uh, slumber uh, 
I think here you, you have the, the concept that these false teachers have begun, become so hardened and deliberate heretics that they've just passed by any opportunity for salvation. They've let it slip by. They're no longer influenced by truth. And uh, so they're just uh, running toward their doom, as it were. Now, the, uh, the next element after these destructive doctrines is the doom of the false teachers. And I'd just like to read that section before we go in detail. Verse 4 of Second uh, Peter 2. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a railing accusation against them before the Lord. So we have here the doom of the false teachers, these who brought destructive doctrines would one day face doom. Now, verse 4 is interesting. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to to be reserved for judgment. So the first example Peter is going to bring is this of the fallen angels. It says they, they're cast down to hell. It's an interesting word for hell. It's Tartarus, uh, which is a special, special uh, uh, usage and uh, perhaps indicative of the severity of that, uh, that uh, confinement. And delivered them into chains of darkness. An alternate reading is pits of darkness. These particular angels were apparently in prison awaiting final judgment in the lake of fire. Putting the the Bible teaching together here. Other Bible passages teach us there are other fallen angels that are not in prison. These include the demons and the devil himself who roams around and around the earth seeking people to uh, destroy, seeking all sorts of evil among men. So 1 Peter chapter 5 mentions that. So Peter himself uh, distinguishes what is going on here. 
And these are reserved for judgment, these particular angels. And since the fate of these angels is certain, it implies that the fate of the false teachers is also certain. And uh, therefore, uh, uh, one should have nothing to do with that sort of falsehood. Now, it says, a second example, and he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So that's his second example, the antediluvian world. But he did save Noah. What a tremendous thing that is. And uh, it would remind Noah, it would remind the people of Noah and the seven others that were saved with him, that truth is never established by how many people believe something. You don't take a vote and, you know, the majority wins. That's true. Uh, The Christian readers would take courage because they would know that this has always been the case, you know, from Noah's time right on back uh, to their present time. And... uh, So though they were a small minority among a pagan, unbelieving world, yet they had the truth of God. Now it says that that Noah was a preacher or herald, literally, of righteousness. And you remember building that ark. That was a huge, huge undertaking. The ark was uh, an immense structure full of uh, a need for... for, uh, uh, solid construction and, and so on. And <clears throat> Noah and his uh, his companions had meager tools, you know, ancient cutting tools and things like that. So apparently it took about 120 years to build this ark to uh, save those who were going to be delivered from the flood. God had told him to do it. He did it. He went to work day after day. But as he went to work in the contacts that he had, he was a herald of righteousness. And he was warning people of coming judgment. And so uh, it says, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And we seem to be living in a period, period of time similar to Noah's because the judgment uh, of this modern world might be a lot closer than we can imagine. You know, when we think about it, uh, those awesome end time events that we read about in the Bible, they could soon be here. And uh, only those who know the person of Jesus Christ, who is our spiritual ark, are going to be delivered safely from these judgments that are coming. And one day, the, the the follower of Jesus uh, will be able to look out, much like Noah did, on a world that is renewed and refreshed. And we're going to be looking out on a world that has become the, the kingdom of the Lord, uh, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And we will see this freshly renewed earth and we will uh, live in it with Christ, serving him uh, for a thousand years. And then the the eternal state will be ushered in of the new heavens and the new earth. 
So in that uh, millennial earth, our Savior and King will have the preeminence, quite the opposite from what is true uh, today. How different things will be in that coming day. And then he says, in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterward, who afterward would live ungodly. So that's his third example: the, the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18, and through 19. So he's moving through Genesis, you know, earlier on, you know, with the angels and then uh, the flood and then uh, this yeah, in Genesis 6 and then this 6 to 8 and, uh, or 9 and then this 18 to 19. He says, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Wow. Uh, sounds like revelation, doesn't it? Condemn them to destruction. The perversions of Sodom and Gomorrah were judged, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. In like manner, the perversions of our own time and nation will be judged. God will do it because God is holy and God has standards. And though man might reject his standards, he, in his holiness and in his power, will execute judgment. Now, until that time, that fiery judgment from God, until the events of uh, Revelation, for example, unfold before the coming of Christ, there is still time for a person to repent and to turn to Jesus. It doesn't... uh, It it doesn't... uh, exclude anyone from fleeing to the Lord Jesus Christ for refuge from the coming judgment. It is open. He is there waiting. And uh, heaven rejoices over every single one who flees to Jesus for deliverance. And God, it says in verse 7, delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Here's God's rescue operation of righteous lot. And God has a, a, a rescue operation coming for the church. It's called the rapture. And we will be taken up to be with him and, and, and saved from uh, the terrible things that will go on upon this world. And it says here that Lot was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. It says, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So he was a righteous man dwelling among wicked people. And even though Lot was not always a great example, you know, he chose the easy way, let Abraham uh, have the, what was left. He wanted to go down where it was comfortable near Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Yet, he was a true believer. And this is very important to recognize. There was a difference. It tormented his righteous soul from day to day. His, His faith made a difference in his attitudes. 
It wasn't, you know, ah, everybody does their own thing. Isn't it okay? Everybody's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. You know, that kind of thing. No, it, it, he was a man who believed in a God who had principles and ethics and morals. And God's holiness made an impact as a true believer in the attitudes of Lot. And seeing and hearing their lawless deeds, Sodom and Gomorrah were especially known and have been for uh, centuries upon centuries for their sexual perversions. And God will judge uh, if a person persists in that. Uh, Verse 9, And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto punishment for the day of judgment. So in conclusion, regarding the future judgment of uh, these sorts of people, these false teachers and their followers, it says, first, that the Lord knows how to deliver or rescue the godly out of temptations or trials. trials. This truth would give comfort to Peter's faithful readers. Remember, they were in a time where persecution was on the rise. You see that in 1 Peter quite clearly. And here, God knows how to keep them uh, and preserve them and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the last day. Because God is just and holy, he must punish the unjust. But he has punished his own son so that they will not have to endure this judgment if they'll but turn to Jesus for salvation. Uh, Verse 10, And especially those who walk according to the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness and despised authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. So, the, the one thing here that we might touch on as we move forward is the thought of speaking evil of dignitaries. Peter warns against rash and self-confident speech regarding evil powers. And I say evil powers because the parallel passage in Jude 8 and 9 seems to make that clear. Talking about uh, the the, uh, powers of darkness. Verse 11 Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Now, angels are a contrast to the false teachers in power, obviously. I mean, these are spirit beings of immense and awesome power. The false teachers are mere men who are going to perish in their sins. Angels are beings of awesome power, and we should uh, uh, recognize that. But it's a different thing to recognize that and to go around making statues of angels, selling statues of angels, worshiping statues of angels, all of that stuff which goes on in our modern uh, society is to be rejected. Do not bring a railing accusation before them, uh, before the Lord. Angels are a contrast to the false teachers in attitude. Angels are powerful beings, but they're humble. And they have a humble attitude. 
And in Jude, the parallel passage says, the Lord rebuke you when he's, uh, Michael is talking uh, to Satan. He doesn't bring the accusation himself. He says, the Lord rebuke you. So we've noticed the destructive doctrines and the doom of the false teachers. Now the next passage seems to uh, go and talk about the depravity of the false teachers. Let me just quickly read that. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, Clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now it says that they are like natural brute beasts. And uh, it reminds me of uh, the number of incidents in North India where you have uh, taggers that have become man-eaters. And in the province of uh, Bengal, for example, the workers in the woods uh, would be attacked by these beasts. And uh, the, the only way to... The, the taggers tended to, to sneak up from behind uh, unseen and then pounce on their victims. So the workers would, would get a mask, a face mask, and turn it around so it, you know, made... The tiger think, oh, they're look, it's looking at, he's looking at me. And so they would try to avoid this. Well, <clears throat> that won't work with uh, false teachers, but it does show, uh, I think, uh, as an illustration, that they can be uh, exceedingly dangerous and sneaky in their approach. They speak evil of things they do not understand. Their self-assurance was matched by their ignorance. Notice the reference in Jude 8 and 10. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things they corrupt themselves. To the same uh, arrogant self-assurance exists today among the various cults and religions of our own time and even in various types of materialistic disbelief, uh, people uh, sound very assured that everybody else uh, uh, that believes in God, is, is in, in the God of the Bible, is wrong. And they will utterly perish in their own corruption. Verse 13, And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to... To carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. 
And uh, God will pay them back for the harm they have done. And uh, uh, these people uh, are, are famous for deceiving others. Even while they feast with you, they pretended to be true Christians when they were not. Jude later says, uh, these are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They had arrived in Jude's time and their deceptions reached even to the Lord's Supper, which is in the early days of the church was celebrated together with a meal called a love feast. And so in the very heart of the, the reality of Christian fellowship, these people were as spots and blemishes. But because of the abuses with the meal, the love feast, the meal and the Lord's Supper were later separated, according to the principle of 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where Paul says, if you're hungry, eat at home. Having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. When these men... Uh, looked at the woman, they could only think of adultery. And uh, the, the practice of constantly sinning that we see here is a mark of one who is not born of God. You could paraphrase 1 John in this regard, 1 John 3 and 9. Whoever has been born of God does not practice sin, for God's seed remains in him, and he cannot practice sin because he has been born of God. So that constant, unable to stop sinning is a picture of someone who is not born of God. And in the moral instability among professing churches today, uh, there are a lot of Christians, so-called, who, well, might not be Christians at all. And their lives... Uh, show that they cannot stop practicing sin. Enticing unstable souls. Uh, the people who are unwary uh, are open to the baiting of the false teachers. It's like a dangling a, a fish hook, you know. <laughs> the unwary fish will grab it and become toast or meal or whatever. And uh, unless you're a catch and release person, I like that. But anyway, uh, not with the false teachers. They catch and they keep. And uh, people who are unstable are easily baited by these false teachers. And they train themselves to be experts in uh, their greedy skills. Uh, It's like they go to the gym, so to speak, of unrighteousness to practice, work out. And this reminds us, this covetous practices reminds us that money and then the other stuff and sex, even when mixed with religion, brings spiritual ruin to so many people. Uh, and it's, it's a sad uh, commentary on humanity. Then in uh, the next portion... Peter looks back for a fourth time at the Old Testament and says they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. The straight way, the right way, they had forsaken. 
I want to emphasize that these people made a choice. Sometime in their lives, they had come to that place where they had to choose between continuing on the broad road that leads to destruction that Jesus talked about or turn and take the narrow path that comes off of that, the narrow path to, through the narrow gate that leads to life. So you have a division in the road. The broad road continues on. There's a choice to be made. The narrow road and the path, the straight gate that leads to life. And these people uh, had a problem. The narrow gate won't let you pass through if you have a heavy bag load of intended sin that you're trying to get through at the same time. The, the gate's too, too narrow. That intention to continue on the path with a load of intentional sin on your, strapped to your back won't let them through. So they went astray and forsook the right way. The Bible teaches that we must uh, repent, change our mind concerning our sin uh, as, 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 as much as possible, drop that bag, and then pass through the uh, narrow gate onto the narrow road that leads to life. They were following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. What is the way of Balaam? Numbers give us an insight into the way of Balaam. Numbers 31 15 and 16 says, And Moses said to them, and then he goes on, Look, these women, they had fought uh, with the Medianites, and they had saved the women uh, for themselves. These women caused the children of Israel, through the counsel of Balaam, to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So he's saying, these these uh, people had caused Israel to sin, and it was through the counsel of Balaam that they had done so. Because he loved the, right, the wages of unrighteousness. He had this mercenary mentality where, you know, you pay me enough, I'll do it. You know, and that was his, his thought. The picture of financial greediness that Balaam showed was in the lives of these false teachers and is in the lives of false teachers today. People are out for the buck. Send me your money. I'll send you a prayer cloth. You know, that kind of thing. So he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. It's interesting. Rebuke for his iniquity. God worked a miracle to rebuke a man in the process of going astray. And, you know, donkeys don't talk ordinarily, right? It took a mighty miracle of God to cause this donkey to talk to his master and to rebuke him. Now, the false teachers were like animals in verse 12. And now their prototype, Balaam, is rebuked by an animal. That's a very interesting thing. And we won't take the time to read the passage, but I would like to uh, challenge you to read, perhaps, as the Lord leads, Numbers 22, and see all of this that takes place. Then it says, They are wells without water, carried by tempest, for whom is 
reserve the blackness of darkness forever. Uh, utterly spiritually barren is the, the thought here. Uh, there is, to, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You know, <clears throat> the subject of hell is, is so, so serious. Whether it's hell's loneliness or hell's pain, the reality is hell must be avoided at all costs. The only way to avoid hell is to be in Christ and have your sins totally forgiven. And uh, that's, that's a wonderful place to be, uh, forgiven and uh, righteous in the eyes of God. So you've got destructive doctrines, the doom of the false teachers, the depravity of the false teachers. Now we come to the deceptions of the false teachers. And I'll try to go rather quickly because our time is about gone. Uh, they use great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh. Uh, let's just read that. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they lure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who are, have actually escaped or uh, perhaps almost escaping might be better. Uh, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Uh, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for, the, for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So these folks had uh, that, that are being influenced by the false teachers are barely escaping, almost escaping, maybe even actually escape some of the pollutions of the world. But though the people that were talking to them, the false teachers, promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. They were hypocrites. And they were themselves slaves to sin. Then it says, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is an important point. It is possible to know fully about Jesus Christ, be positively influenced by him, and yet not be born of God. It's much the same as in the parable of the four soils. Remember, the seed fell upon this soil and that soil, and some of it, you know, sprang up quickly. There was a great influence, but it died quickly, and so on. So uh, the thought of the parable of the false four soils is not life or not life so much, but of influence. And you, you come to the ones that brought forth fruit, they're clearly uh, having an influence that marks... Uh, that uh, experience as being true saving experience.
experience. And so <clears throat> positive influence is not enough. Saying I'll turn over a new leaf because I see, you know, Jesus lived this way and that. And, you know, it's, it's not enough just to uh, quit smoking or quit drinking or doing something else. Uh, there has to be more. Now he says they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. This recalls Jesus' parable of the unclean spirit that leaves a man and comes back and finds his former home swept clean and then re-inhabits it with seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Jesus says the last state of that man is worse than the first. So here's a man who is reformed. He's done all this. He's, he's swept clean, and yet he's not born again. The Spirit of God is not within him. And so in the parable, the uh, Spirit comes back with seven others, uh, unclean spirits, to occupy that home. Verse 21, For it is better for them not to know the way of righteousness. Well, that sounds strange, but not to know it, uh, but the next part explains it. Having known it, turn aside from the holy commandment. Sin against great light is sin greatly compounded. It's much better never to hear anything about the gospel than to hear the gospel plainly and reject it. And so the uh, true proverb is, and, and that says that we can rely on the truthfulness of all that. A dog returns to his own vomit. This is saying number one based on Proverbs 26, 11. Now remember, the dog returns to his vomit. The Bible never uses the term dog to describe the true child of God. Much as you might like dogs, it's an unclean animal and is never used to uh, describe that true child of God. And a sow or pig having washed to returning in the mire. This seems to have been a well-known saying among the Jews. The Bible never uses the term pig or sow to refer to a true child of God. Clearly, the only change here was outward and superficial. The, the, the pig was washed and it returned. It was outward, superficial. The underlying principle of both sayings is the apostates and those influenced by them never were what they seemed to be and returned to what they had been all along. So we need to ask ourselves, have I repented of my sins and trusted solely in the Lord Jesus Christ to save me from judgment and to give me the gift of eternal life? If your answer is yes, then following Jesus is what life should be all about. Following the uh, following Jesus may, means staying true to the teachings of God's word concerning the foundation and purpose of our lives. So we can conclude the, the chapter. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for each one who has uh, repented of their sins, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and been born into your family. Thank you for each one that is here today and those listening to this message. We want to take this time, Lord, to thank you for Calvary. Thank you for 
going into death for us. And as we uh, remember you this morning in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we say thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the grace that has lifted us up and set our feet upon a solid rock. Thank you for the truth of God and for the life of God that we enjoy day by day. In the wonderful and precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray.